everybody, and welcome to Coach's Corner. So a lot of us have had a very stressful year, two years, decades, lifetime, and in the aftermath of any stress, expectation, hangover, and trauma, we often fall into survival mode, even while a part of us longs for more, longs for something deeper. And we talk about survival mode a lot on this show. So we can juggle multiple demands and responsibilities. We can keep ourselves distracted, but not healed. And as you know from listening, signs of disconnection can take many forms, people-pleasing, depression, anxiety, resentment. And healing starts with recognizing and expressing emotions in an honest way and reconnecting with the neglected parts of yourself. And my guest today really unpacks that even further for us. Dr. Tama Bryant is a clinical psychologist and president-elect of the American Psychological Association. She's also a professor of psychology at Pepperdine and an ordained minister in the African Methodist Episcopal Church with more than 20 years of experience in trauma recovery. She has appeared as a mental health expert on television, radio, and print. She raises awareness about mental health issues on her podcast called The Homecoming and her social media platforms. She also is the author of the new book, Homecoming, Overcome Fear and Trauma to Reclaim Your Whole Authentic Self, which is a roadmap for dismantling the fear and shame that keep you from living a free and authentic life. I was so happy that she joined me today. I've been following her on social media for a while now, and it was awesome to have her on the show. Before we get into our conversation, just want to thank my sponsor, Organifi. Organifi is your one-stop shop to get all of your amazing superfood drinks and mixes and all the good things. You've heard me talk about them before. You know you can get 20% off when you go to Organifi.com slash over it. 20% on any order, not just your first. Get yourself some green juice, which is a great way to get your greens and a lot of just yummy nutrients. You can mix it into a smoothie or just drink it alone. The red juice has all kinds of energizing, yummy things. I love their their gold, which is a turmeric latte mix. I, I make it a latte, mix it into almond milk. And so many other really great products and products that you can really trust because they source from great places. And of course, with Organifi, it's organic. So go to Organifi.com slash over it for 20% off. And now on to my conversation with Dr. Tama. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for the conversation. Yeah, we're going to talk about some good stuff today. And of course, I read your bio, and I bet a lot of people are familiar with your work. I've been following you on Instagram for a while. I love your posts. Every time I get to one of your posts, I just take an exhale. <laughs> it's just like mm, soothing you. and calming, and you have a beautiful way of talking about complex charged things in a really calming, unifying way. It's one of your many gifts. Oh, and so thank you for the content. Wow, you I appreciate out. that. Yeah. Beautiful. It's, you know, when you write it, especially in social media, you're just kind of sending it out there. So it's nice to, when you find out it's landing with people. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know you have a lot of wisdom and reassurance to, to share today, but before we dive into that, I'd love for people to get to know you a little bit better. So mm-hmm. one of the things that I talk about a lot and was the title of my last book, are expectation hangovers. When life doesn't go according to plan or life throws us an unexpected curveball or we Mm -hmm. achieve a certain thing but don't feel like we thought we would. You know, we get that brand new job, but it doesn't solve all our problems. And so I'm curious for you if there's, I'm sure you've had more than one disappointment in your Mm -hmm. life, but if there was some 
a specific or, or pinnacle expectation hangover that really put you on your path or was really transformational for you? I am a trauma psychologist, and it then is no surprise that I have uh, been exposed to and experienced uh, trauma in my life. And in uh, many ways, that set me on the path for the, the work that I do, and I would hope the compassion that I do it with. So as an adolescent, uh, even though I'm African-American, my family moved to Liberia, West Africa, and um, the first year was amazing and life-changing in very positive ways. Uh, toward the end of the second year, uh, civil war broke out, mm-hmm. and so we ended up being evacuated. And so that gave me um, a different sense of when people talk about war, uh, what that really means. And uh, then when I was a college student, uh, when I went home to Baltimore for one of the breaks, I experienced uh, sexual assault. And so that definitely put me on the path for a lot of the work I do with survivors and recovery. And uh, then just also uh, the realities of community violence, uh, racism Mm -hmm. and sexism. And so all of those pieces uh, really inform uh, my path in terms of using my writing, my research, my practice, my politics um, to really attend to the various ways people are marginalized in Mm. trying to bring about healing and empowerment. Mm. No small task. Oh my goodness. Yeah, exactly. It's a big one one for for you as Mm -hmm. a human to walk through. And then to take that on is your mission here is, is Mm -hmm. massive. It's massive. Yeah. Yeah. And needing to do it together, you know, Mm -hmm. brings up the importance of collaboration and community, right? Because these are big issues. And if we are kind of trying to carry the weight of the world on our shoulders, it's too much. But then when you connect with like-minded people, kindred spirits, people who are committed to with similar values, you know, you can do some incredibly beautiful things together. Yeah, absolutely. What was in, because I know in order to help others with any of the things you talked about, the mm-hmm. ism, the abuse, the living in, in war, which is incredibly traumatic. Yeah. What were the things that really helped you most? Mm-hmm. Yes. So I'm going to say therapy, the arts, spirituality, and community. So uh, therapy was very helpful in terms of having safe spaces to tell my story and to be uh, encouraged to connect with my feelings, to connect with my body, to really look at uh, my own thought process. And um, also the expressive arts uh, are really a wonderful vehicle tool pathway Uh, for healing and expression. So I love dancing. Mm. And I say that dancing really saved my relationship with my body uh, because it's opposed to me thinking of my body as the enemy or my body as a target. It really has been a place where I could say whatever I wanted to say, Mm -hmm. whether in Mm -hmm. modern ballet, jazz, African dance, you know, all different forms. Uh, And I also, um, since being a child, I'm a poet. And so spoken word and the gift of words. Uh, If you ever have been to like a poetry coffee Mm -hmm, house, mm -hmm. a lot of times people are giving like their narrative, you know, they're telling their story in poetic form. And uh, so finding community with truth tellers was wonderful for my healing. Uh, Spirituality, my faith walk 
um, has been really important. And I say whenever anyone is trying to do transformational work, it requires some level of faith in believing that I can be something I have not yet been mm-hmm. or that I can experience things I have not yet experienced. So that uh, when people say like, oh, your work feels very hopeful, even though like it's very tuned into trauma. So along with uh, therapy, the arts and spirituality, community has been an important part of my healing because stress and trauma often isolate us and make us feel like we're the only one. And so it is such a gift to be able uh, to connect with other people in in an authentic way. So all of those pieces were important for my healing. Mm. And you talk about how your work offers people hope, and I definitely feel that from you. And I'd love to talk about how how seeing ourselves as victims can Mm -hmm. really impair our progress. Mm-hmm. Is that enough of a question or do you need more? Yes. Yep. That's, <laughs> okay, perfect. That, that, yep. That's enough of a question. So the way I talk about it uh, with clients is with this phrase, trauma affects us, but it doesn't define us. And I think it is important to leave room for both pieces, right? The fact that it did have an impact because because some people with kind of toxic positivity, we call it want you to like Mm -hmm. jump over the trauma and just say like, just don't think about it. You're good. You're fine. Or it happened for a reason. It made you stronger. That's my least favorite. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) So instead to say, yes, it has had an impact and there is more to me than what was done to me. Right. And, And there is more to me than how I was seen by people who mistreated me. And so that allows us to have space. And even uh, if you go into therapy, people will ask, the therapist will ask you questions about kind of the problems or the symptoms and the issues, but they will also ask you questions about your strengths, Mm -hmm. like what has helped you to sustain, you know, Mm -hmm. what are the things that define you, that reflect you, that affirm you. So we want to see ourselves holistically um, so that as, you know, your question is getting at that I'm not just someone that people do things to, but I also have voice, I have agency, I can make some choices about the next season of my life. Mm -hmm. And I have seen in my life when I do, when I am throwing myself one heck of a pity party and I am playing Mm -hmm. into victim, it makes the transformation so much harder because there's a piece of me that's still attached to wanting to be the victim. Of course, it's often subconscious, but it's hard for me to really heal if there's still kind of a payoff. I think I'm getting some kind of attention or it's maybe how I, you know, deal with my anger or whatever it is. And when I can move out of that and be like, okay, yes, this happened. I can acknowledge my feelings, my, my anger, my shame, my hurt, whatever. I can acknowledge what happened. I can have compassion. But when I move out of that victim consciousness, it, it empowers me. And that's where I find the most change. And so do you feel like that's an important part of people's personal development journey to honor where they've been, but not play into the whole victim archetype? So I think, you know, one of the, as you were, uh, uh, sharing your experience, one of the examples that came to mind for me of like, in what cases is it really hard to shift? And I Mm -hmm. think a lot of times it's for people who the trauma happened early. Mm. So then uh, what some clients will share is like, they never got to develop a self, right? right? They don't know 
who they are outside of that experience versus kind of if things felt kind of stable and affirming and I went to college and like, you know, something terrible happened. And then like now I'm trying to like reclaim myself versus those who like grew up with parents who, you know, were problematic in some ways or emotionally abusive or otherwise. And so uh, for for people in that space and uh, to, quote unquote, release that can feel like releasing myself because I don't have an experience of myself separate from that. And so to name and have compassion for the fear of what if I am trying to create myself for the first time, you know, and that, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's a, a huge one, which mm-hmm. is why it's important to have uh, support as we're as we're doing that. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's huge because you're right. Yeah. Like when it happens at such an early de- developmental age, right. you never got to know life outside of that. So it just becomes mm-hmm. the lens in which you look through. Yeah. yeah. So people that are going, oh my gosh, that's me. Mm-hmm. Where do they go from there? Yes. So I would say, you know, when uh, you have been mistreated, often uh, the people who were mistreating you in some ways erased you, right? That you were not a priority. Your needs were not a priority. Your thoughts were not a priority. It was really about them. And so as I'm healing, a way to check in with myself is, am I paying attention to me or am I continuing this same path of being erased, right? Being shamed, being silenced. And so I know uh, that if I am treating myself the way those who hurt me would want to treat me or treated me, then that uh, is taking me away from my healing, right? So it begins to start to uh, check in and honor myself with, you know, what do I feel? What do I think? What it would be like uh, to speak truth in this moment, to use my voice. And, um, and I want to also name, to give yourself permission to grieve the losses, right? That for some people, you know, years were taken from you or innocence was taken from you. Uh, so the, the grief is there. The anger must be maybe there as you were talking about people with uh, their range of feelings. And then to start uh, creating some different memories. Like if my whole life is backward looking, then I'm still not yet in the present. And so, you know, I want to uh, in some ways make sense of the past or come to a place of peace and acceptance within myself that that happened and I cannot change what already happened. And in this present moment, what is the life I want to gift myself, you know, and to allow yourself to feel the discomfort of that because that internal message may be, I'm not worthy. I'm not deserving. I'm an imposter, like all of these things. And to continue to show up for yourself, uh, despite that. And I will say being intentional about your friendships and relationships, because it is hard to heal from past events if we continue to be in relationship mm. with people who are dishonoring us. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Playing out. It's, it's, it's amazing to me how often we seek out the familiar over mm-hmm. the healthy and yes. we confuse like what's familiar for what could, what's right. good for us. And it's like, yes. Oh, yes. let me make that distinction. Right. Yeah. This is, this is all so huge. And I'd, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about, you know, I have seen in my practice and in my work levels of anxiety, depression, 
isolation, panic, people that never dealt with depression and anxiety in their life or have been right. dealing with it. It's really escalated since March of 2020. First, and I know the answer may be obvious, but I have a feeling you have an even deeper, more insightful answer. Mm-hmm. Why has this pandemic brought up so much more anxiety and depression and then and, and other mental health mm-hmm. issues? And yeah. then secondly, you know, how do we navigate that? Mm-hmm. So it is the powerlessness that is triggering right? That in a lot of ways, we are out of control. We cannot predict. We can't even, people have tried to make predictions. Oh, it'll be another month, another three months. You know, remember that whole initially, all this uh, guessing about where this was going to go and how it was going to land. And so for uh, many people, the ways people have coped is in some ways by controlling their environment. Right. So making decisions about where I'm going to be, who I'm going to be with, taking care of my health or uh, being selective. And in this way, if I do these things, I can kind of predict like what my week is going to look like, what my month, even my year, you know, New Year's resolution. This is what I'm going to do. And many of us have been very into planning. And it's like your whole plan got thrown away. What you thought the past year was going to look like. So from uh, vacations to graduations to proms to anniversaries to people spending birthdays alone or on Zoom. And so that uh, is is very disruptive in addition to the fear and the grief. You know, if you are, uh, they don't show it as much anymore, but initially on the news, you would get that daily count, right, of mm-hmm. watching the numbers uh, grow And for some, it's not uh, just like a distant reality of the news, but uh, for some, it has been like grieving their their loved ones. And so the grief, and then I like to name, it's the uh, visible and invisible losses. So all of us have had some losses in this season, even if they're not acknowledged or recognized, or we put them down on the hierarchy because maybe we didn't lose a person like some people did. Uh, And so that feeling of being out of control creates a lot of uh, Mm -hmm. anxiety and feeling unsafe. Um, And also uh, for some not knowing who or what to trust um, has also heightened it. And so that despair and depression, I want to also name for those who have never uh, really dealt with mental health challenges that sometimes the ways people cope is with busyness. Mm -hmm. And so if your way of like, you know, moving through life is to always have something going on. And so then you feel like, okay, and then the world stops, like, you know, those things got canceled or they're just online. Uh, And so the stillness has made people confront some things that they may have been running from for years. Mm hmm. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's one of the things that I've talked a lot about on the show is that this time of massive uncertainty, because so much of our childhood wounding comes from not having control, comes Mm -hmm. from uncertainty, comes Mm -hmm. from having the rug pulled out from under us where our nervous system is just jarred. So I think physiologically as well, people's nervous systems are jarred. And then subconsciously, a lot of their inner child wounding is coming up. And, you know, I have found for me, Although, yeah, there have been ups and downs that I've dealt with in the past two years and just being part of the collective, 
because I have such rooted work and inner child work, when things, when I do feel something, it's been a little easier to navigate because I've been like, what is this reminding me of? What is this triggering inside of me? And I found that that's given me a sense of, for lack of a better word, control (laughs) in in a time when there's so much uncertainty, because at least I can handle know what's going on for me and then I can show up and and be present and help other people who who may be struggling. And so for people that may, you know, for a lifetime been dealing with anxiety, depression, or just just have just have started to feel it now, what are some useful things that they can do? Yes. So I'm gonna say mindfulness, self-care and community care. So the mindfulness is about being in the present without judgment because sometimes we intensify our distress because we we judge ourselves for feeling what we're feeling, right? So if I'm feeling anxious and then I'm mad at myself for being anxious, now I have doubled my problems, right? And I remember, you know, I was on a panel and there was a, a nurse and she was talking about being angry at herself because she had to work on the uh, COVID unit and she would be anxious, but she considers herself a woman of faith. And it's like, you know, you're going into a place where there is risk. So to give yourself grace for that, of course you feel anxious. And so for us to release some of our judgments. And I think even with social media, we can get into the compare despair where, you know, especially at first you would see some parents posting, doing like a million activities with their kids. And then for some people, it's like, it's enough if I could like get dinner on the table. And so, you know, you can get into all kinds of um, judgments and being harsh with ourselves. So I would say uh, having compassion and gentleness uh, an understanding of ourselves and the ways in which we cope and the ways that it's landed with us. Uh, the second part is about self-care of looking at, you know, what are the things that nourish me? And uh, so we can think about what are the foods that I'm eating? What am I doing for rest? What am I doing? A big one is moving my body. So some people have talked about somatic therapy and soma is the body. Um, and so whether you're talking about uh, trauma-informed yoga or walking and hiking or dancing, uh, but uh, we, we hold a lot of stress in our bodies. And so giving ourselves permission to release uh, some of that in our stretching and movement um, and then shifting away from the unhealthy coping strategies. What are some of the things I feel pulled to do but end up making me feel worse? right? So that is self-sabotage. And then I also want to name collective care. So some people have kind of criticized the self-care emphasis because they say, you know, if you have a single mom of three and you tell her just buy candles, you know, it's insufficient. And so <laughs> if only that worked, if right, only that right, was the right, answer. I got my candle, you know? <laughs> uh, and so what, you know, what the community cares um, showing up for people, you know, whether phone or online or in person safely. But uh, so many people are feeling like the isolation, which can heighten the depression. And so being uh, intentional about not just waiting to see who calls you, but taking the initiative to, you know, reach out to people and to connect. Yeah, I think that's huge because the reaching out piece can be tricky, right? Because yeah. when we are so down and low, Mm -hmm. 
I know I hear from a lot of people, they don't want to feel like a burden. So when that thought comes in, Mm -hmm. I don't want to feel like a burden, but I really don't want to be alone either. Often it's, I don't want to be a burden wins and they don't reach out. How can we work with that thought? How can we overcome that so that we do reach out? Yes. So two things I would say to that. One is when I have good news, do I also share that? Right. Because then we want balance and friendship. If if I only call people when I'm struggling, then that actually is not friendship. Right. But if I am friends with the person, then I, you know, I, I don't just go to them when I'm in despair because we're friends. And that go, leads to my second point is people would like to have authentic relationships And when we disappear, when we're not feeling good and only call when we feel like we're on top of the world, it robs people of the opportunity to actually be real friends, right? Then it's more like public relations. You know, my world is going great, so I call and broadcast all my good news, but I don't trust you or myself enough to show up in truth when things are crumbling. And uh, so for us to Uh, give ourselves and give other people the opportunity to have have real friendship. And real friendship is not just fair weather friends, that we Mm -hmm. are with each other in the different seasons of our lives. Mm, Yeah, I love that. And whenever a friend calls me in in need or just to to vent or whatever, I always feel honored. I always feel like more intimacy, more closeness right. that they right. trust me. Yeah. And so I remember that. I think to myself, well, how do I feel when someone calls me? And and <laughs> the other person's probably going to feel the same way. So everybody listening, reach out. You're not, you're not a burden. Mm-hmm. People, we, we, we're relational beings. We need each other. It's, we're not, we're not here to do it alone. Yeah. And I, I would say it's also a call or it may be an alarm to start building some real friendships. Mm-hmm. Because if, in fact, because some people will say, well, I try to uh, share and then people just make it about themselves or they just tell me to get over it or, you know, all these kind of negative things. Well, then I have to put that in a different category. So that gives me clarity. If, if some people give me a signal that they are not going to be there when I'm having difficulty, then I want to either try to repair that with that person and have a conversation with them and or I want to start cultivating some friendships that are more real. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I want to circle back to inner child, just so much a part of my life and a part of my work. And I know it is for you too. So I'd love for to hear how you share with people to really identify and reparent their inner child. Yes. So when we are uh, doing the reparenting work, it goes back to that uh, mindset of sometimes we learn by role models and sometimes we learn by the opposite. Right. So, you know, sometimes you would say like, oh, I want to treat myself with uh, such honor because and I was treated so honorably. And then other times I uh, was not parented well and I and that gives me a roadmap of, in some ways, what not to do, right, and what to do. And so when I am reparenting myself, I uh, am willing to set boundaries. 
you know, when we think of like a healthy parent or a parent who's engaged, they're not going to just let you go to anybody's house. They're not going to let just anybody watch you. You know, they're going to ask some questions. They're going to pay attention. They're going to say some people cannot have access to you because of what they have demonstrated. And so then I begin to do that for myself, right, to set up healthy boundaries of I don't have to say yes to everything. That just because someone wants my time, my space, my attention, um, I I get to decide. I get to choose. I also get to say, when we say like set, setting boundaries is one, another one is uh, protecting my wellness and my schedule. So, you know, a healthy, engaged parent would say, it's time to go to bed, right? <laughs> or a healthy, engaged parent would say, mm-hmm. put some greens on your plate. And so when I start to parent myself, it's like, do I let myself rest, right? What am I feeding myself? It's not, you know, healthy reparenting if I'm just feeding out of vending machines and uh, staying up all night and being exhausted mm-hmm. all day. And so um, the, uh, the, the boundaries are one, the having a schedule and healthy uh, habits is another, and then also being affirming, right? That, you know, when someone is parenting you in a healthy way, There is praise there. There is love there. There is acceptance there. And so can I celebrate myself and celebrate my accomplishments? Can I love and accept myself? And do I also forgive myself, right? If my kids mess up, then I'm going to say like, oh, like you shouldn't have done that or, you know, and don't do that again. But there's never a moment where I'm like, well, you did that. And so therefore you are unworthy, Mm. right, of my love. And so, you know, there's a lot of uh, grace there when I'm doing my healthy parenting. It's like, okay, I can admit that that was out of order or that one, like I did something I didn't want to do and I want to pull myself together and not do that again, uh, but with with grace, compassion uh, and love. And then the last thing I'll just mention about reparenting is healthy, engaged parents learn their specific child and try to feed the interest and the gifts of that child, you know? So it's like when my son was into construction sites, I'm not into construction sites, but I'll pull over the car so you can see (laughs) what they're doing. And so, you know, what that would mean for my reparenting of myself is not to neglect my own interest, my own passions, the things that help me to come alive, that I am going to make that a priority because I value my joy. Mm, I love that. And what are some indicators that our inner child is activated or needs us? Yes. And so when we have an intense response to something that on the surface of things, it seems not to match, Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, some people talk about like it as being triggered, um, but, you know, when something may seem relatively neutral and it puts me in a place of tearfulness. It puts me in a place of panic. Um, when I feel defensive, then like then I have to ask myself, like, what is the larger story, right? What is going on? I was uh, talking with a client this past week who was upset that some people who were actually strangers on social media didn't like her. And it was an, uh, an important piece to get to like these uh, early moments of rejection these early moments of bullying, because, you know, you have mostly people like praising and being happy, but these three people said something negative and they become the center 
right, of your universe. Right. So then we have to get it like what what gave them so much power? And there's a deeper story there, you know, when we really examine it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I know my inner child is activated when yes, my reaction doesn't match the circumstances. And often when I'm feeling really needy, like all of a sudden my husband's doing everything wrong. He's not meeting any of my needs. He's not reading my mind. Um, Or I feel like people aren't inviting me to things or whatever. When I get like that hurt or needy feeling, that's usually an indicator that little Christine needs some attention. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And it's so mm -hmm. good to, to know because when we're not tuned in, like it's easier and it's a distraction to keep it focused on other people, right? With like you said, with your husband or whoever is not doing, and then to say like, what's, you know, what's going on in me? Yeah. 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 This next question I'm really excited to ask you because I've had a mm-hmm. lot of people come on the show because um, I do these interviews, but I also do live coaching on the show mm-hmm. with people and a lot of people who have had bad religious experiences. Yes. How can we blend spiritual and sacred practices and psychology, especially mm-hmm. for those who've been traumatized by religion? Yes, Absolutely. So it is, and, and my, but we're in a line because my last week's uh, podcast episode was on spiritual and religious abuse. Mm. And so it is important for us to recognize often with uh, trauma or hurt or uh, harm violation that in order to try to stay safe, what we have a tendency to do is overgeneralize. And so, you know, we can use a parallel of abusive relationships, right? If you were in an abusive relationship or you witnessed it growing up, you know, you can make this conclusion that relationships are bad, right? They're all toxic. It's all power plays. And so I'm going to um, isolate myself because relationships only lead to bad things. And likewise, you'll hear some people talk about that in terms of their religious or spiritual space, that if they were a part of a community that was controlling or manipulative or unloving, then there can be uh, an assumption that none of these spaces can be loving or none of them can be a place of liberation. And that can cause us to miss out on what can be some good experiences. Um, The beginning of the healing work will be uh, internal. And uh, if someone is theistic, so believing in God, to consider Is it possible that the nature of God, the identity of God is different than how God was presented to me, right? So if you were presented with this image of someone who hates you, rejects you, um, is just out to catch you doing terrible things and punish you, you know, and so it may be, well, then I reject that. Okay, is there, you know, what would a God look like who actually loved you and cared about you and chose you? Um, And then whether people are um, theistic or not, looking at uh, our spiritual practices. So uh, what are the ways that you nourish your spirit? So for some people, that's meditation. For some, that's prayer. For some, that's through the arts. For some, that's going out in nature. And so uh, exploring uh, that aspect of ourselves so that the places or people that were harmful don't get the final say. Right. They don't get to say, I cannot have a spiritual life 
because Mm -hmm. some people who call themselves spiritual mistreated me. Mm -hmm. When the reality is, you know, spirituality and even religion and faith, you know, there are imperfect people who are involved, but there is a deeper piece to it, which is connection to the sacred Mm -hmm. and really seeing ourselves and all living beings as sacred. And how do I honor that, uh, whether that's an individual journey or whether I do that in a community. Mm -hmm. And what about people that are more agnostic, not so sure about the spirituality Mm -hmm. God thing? What are some practices Mm -hmm. they can add to their self-care practice? Yes. And so there are, there is uh, meditation and people can do uh, guided meditation or silent meditation. Uh, you can also do mindfulness walking, mindfulness movement. There's even mindfulness eating, right? Which allows us to slow down and uh, be in, in the present. Another principle, uh, you know, however people identify is around gratitude. And we know that gratitude uh, is really helpful to push back against uh, depression. And again, not in a toxic way where you can only be grateful, um, but we know gratitude journals are really helpful to say at the end of each day or the end of each week, I just want to take note of what went well or what I am happy about or what I am grateful for, because what depression does is it can keep our focus on what is missing and then we can take for granted what is actually present. Mm. And so, you know, meditation is one. Uh, Gratitude is another. Uh, Another spiritual principle is generosity versus a scarcity mindset. Mm. So, you know, operating from a place of um, valuing sharing, you know, whether that is sharing time, uh, sharing resources, uh, sharing aspects of myself, Instead of, you know, this notion of everything is a competition and if you get it, that means I'm not going to have it. And so that creates a lot of anxiety, pressure and stress. And so to say as a a principle, I want to operate with generosity. You know, another spiritual principle is uh, compassion, self-compassion and compassion toward others. And uh, to say as a Uh, spiritual practice. I want to be intentional about how I see people, um, that, you know, people's mistakes are a part of them, but even that doesn't define all that they are. So, you know, trying to have patience and grace when I'm, you know, interacting with other people. Mm. So, you know, thinking about from, I would say, uh, um, uh, a place where wherever people are on the spectrum of spirituality or religion, um, but to say, what are my values? And then how do I live out those values? And then how do I also uh, think about nourishing that aspect of myself? Right. right. I love that. And you have a new book coming out in March called Homecoming. Yeah. Oh, I love that thank title. You. Oh, thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about the book? I am uh, so excited about this book. It is based on my podcast. And so the podcast is called Homecoming. And it is about us getting back home to ourselves, getting reconnected with ourselves. And as we have been talking about, uh, stress and trauma can often disconnect you. And uh, you can end up kind of coming to an awareness that you have been living like somebody else, you know, Mm -hmm. that maybe you have 
taking on the shoulds of what other people think you should do or should be, or you're following the script that your parents gave you or, you know, culture gave you or religion gave you. And so trying to come to a place of what is true, right? I want to live from a place of authenticity. And so that's what uh, the book kind of walks us through that journey. And I uh, am so excited to offer it for the public because my uh, prior writings were really more academic and for mm. other therapists, you mm. know, because I, I teach uh, in a graduate program for people who want to be psychologists. And so a lot of the writing was to help them. But this offering is for the public directly. And so, um, yeah, I'm super excited about it. I love that. So people can pre-order the book. They can get their hands on it in March. They can listen to your podcast, also called Homecoming. And where else can people connect with you? I love your Instagram page, so that's a great place. Yeah. But where else can we find you? Right. So the the podcast is on um, iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Um, I'm on Twitter and Facebook and, um, and on Instagram. And, uh, if you go to my website, Dr. Tama, D-R-T-H-E-M-A.com, uh, it has my itinerary there, my calendar. So some of those events are virtual and some of them are in various cities. And so you can see if either I'll be in your area at some point, or mm-hmm. you can join a virtual conference or event. Mm. And as we wrap up here, because you are just such a beautiful, grounded hope spreader, (laughs) and (laughs) I'd love for you just to speak to people who may be feeling a little hopeless right now. What what message do you have for them? Yes. I want to tell you actually some wisdom that came from my mother. So this was many years ago. I was uh, very devastated when you talk about like facing disappointments. I was facing a disappointment and I was on my on the phone with my mom and she has a very unique voice. So I'm going to channel her voice in this Mm. moment. And she said, your destiny is greater than your circumstance. Mm. Your destiny is greater than your circumstance. Mm. And that, that is what hope is, right? That I can be disappointed. I can be devastated. I can be upset. And all of that is true. And yet believe that how I am in this moment will not always be. And so Mm. to dare to believe that there can be shifting and growth and the road can turn. And so as a lot of uh, grandparents would say, keep on living, keep Mm. on living. Mm, I love that. I love that. Well, thank you, Dr. Tama, for just who you are, for sharing so much wisdom for your own journey and everything that you've been through and choose, have chosen to really turn it into your, your path and your mission and your purpose. Just really acknowledge you for who you are and the work that you do in the world. Oh, thank you. And I appreciate the work that you're doing and this invitation to be here and share with your audience. So many blessings to you all. Mm-hmm.